but I'd like to preach to you for a little bit tonight out of the 28th chapter of the book of Exodus. Uh, this is a passage of Scripture that you've probably not spent a whole lot of time in. I mean, if we're just being honest, it lays forth uh, the clothing uh, that Aaron, the high priest, was called of God to wear when he ministered uh, before the Lord on behalf of the children of Israel. But, you know, we'll find as we study through this passage tonight that there's a beautiful and practical truth that I trust will encourage you in the Word of God tonight and encourage me when I began to see it. Exodus chapter 28, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat, a mitre and a girdle. They shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, of and of purple, of scarlet and fine twine linen with cunning work. It shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so it shall be joined together. And the curious girdle of the ephod, which is upon it, shall be of the same, according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue, and of purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen. Thou shalt take two onyx stones, and grave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and the other six names of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. With the, uh, with the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold. Thou shalt put to the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this time and opportunity. I pray that you give me unction and power as I preach, Lord, not that it would exalt me, but, Father, that I might be hid behind your cross, that we might see Christ uh, clearly and uplifted and exalted and glorified tonight. Help us, Father, as we take a few moments to consider his high priestly work, to have gratitude in our hearts that he'd minister on our behalf. And I pray, Lord, if there's any under the sound of my voice, that have sin in their life that needs to be repented of and confessed and forsaken. I pray that they would come boldly under the throne of grace, knowing that we do have a high priest uh, in that heavenly sanctuary ministering over the things of God. We'll be sure to thank you for it, Lord. I love you and I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, a lot of what we've read before us tonight, the Lord is giving instruction and details for the children of Israel of how to make the high priestly garbs that Aaron would wear. The ephod describes essentially the vest that Aaron would wear over his body, the shoulder pieces, and uh, the breastplate that would make up that ephod. And of course, it describes the robe that he would wear. It describes the mitre that he would wear like a crown upon his head. But I'm interested tonight in three things the Bible says about how he represented the children of Israel before God. 
Now, before we say a word about them, let me just remind you of this. That in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God uh, called priests out from men to minister on behalf of men in the matter of spiritual matters and holy things before God. You and I, we don't live in a day where we need an earthly high priest because we have a heavenly high priest in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says uh, that we have such an high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We have a high priest. And I think as we study the book of Hebrews, and you might say, well, preacher, we're in Exodus. Yeah, I know we're in Exodus. But when we preach out of Hebrews, a lot of the book of Hebrews is meant to show how that Christ is far superior to Aaron concerning the priesthood. And how the uh, priesthood of Melchizedek is far superior uh, to the Levitical priesthood. And I think, and we know that to be true, but I think sometimes when we study that, we get the idea that the Levitical priesthood wasn't connected to Christ in any way. Hey, listen, in the same way that the Old Testament sacrifices, they were just a shadow, but they were a shadow, and they pointed to the sacrifice of the Lamb of God that was coming. In the same way, those sacrifices were not sufficient, but they were picturesque of something. The Levitical priesthood of Aaron was not sufficient. Hey, Aaron couldn't get anybody to God in the truest sense of the word. He couldn't ultimately get anyone to God. We have a better high priest than Aaron ever could be, or the sons of Aaron. But even though the priesthood of Aaron was not sufficient, it was picturesque of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ during this day of grace. I want you to notice three things that arrested my attention and uh, the Lord encouraged me in. There are three places throughout this whole chapter. We won't read the entirety of the chapter. We will read a little more as we preach on. But there are three places that the Bible says that Aaron bore the children of Israel before God. Now, aren't you glad the Lord bears us up in the presence of God? There's three places and three ways in which Aaron did this. And I want you to notice them very quickly. In verse 12, the Bible says, Thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his shoulders for a memorial. Look down at verse 29. The Bible says, And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. Look down at verse 36. The Bible says, And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre, which is a, a hat, it is a crown of sorts that Aaron wore, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord." So three places that Aaron bore the children of Israel before God. Number one, he bore them upon his shoulders when uh, the, uh, the shoulder pieces were placed with the names of the children of Israel graven upon the stones. Number two, he bore them upon his heart whenever the individual stones, one for each tribe, was uh, set within the breastplate and he would put that breastplate on. It would rest on his heart and he would bear them upon his heart. And then finally, he would bear the children of Israel upon 
upon his head uh, whenever that uh, statement, holiness to the Lord, was put upon that mitre. It was for the purpose that he might stand as their holy representative before God on their behalf. So I want you to remember that. He bore them upon his shoulders, he bore them upon his heart, and he bore them upon his Head. Let me say that tonight, when we consider the high priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll find that there are three ways in which He bears us up. Now let me pause and just step back and say this. Where would we be if we did not have Christ as our high priest? I could not get access to God except I had one as an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I couldn't get into God's presence without a mediator. And there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus I couldn't get my prayers answered if there wasn't somebody that ever liveth to make intercession for me. Where would I be without Christ in His high priestly work? When I see what Aaron did for the children of Israel, it reminds me of all that Christ does for me as my faithful high priest. And let me say this before we move on to, we don't need a human priest because we have a holy priest. And He's enough, amen? He's sufficient. You'll never find in the Bible, by the way, the structure of priesthood that's so popular today amongst human religions. You'll never find this idea of a priest being uh, someone that absolved sins. You'll never find that in your Bible. Uh, what you'll find in the Bible uh, is that the priests were there to facilitate man coming before God and the sacrifice would be the thing that atoned for the sins. Uh, never do you find the idea of a hierarchy or a class system of priesthood in the Word of God. The Bible says we ought to call no man father. Amen. I'm glad, hey, I got it just as much right to go before the God of glory uh, than anybody wearing any kind of cloth or any kind of collar or any kind of situation. If I'm saved by the grace of God, I don't need somebody to get me to God. I've already been got to God by Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the priesthood. Well, let's think about these three ways that He bears us up, and then we'll close. Let me say, number one, He bears us upon His shoulders for strength. The Bible says that uh, the children of Israel were to take these two onyx stones, and there were twelve tribes of Israel, and they were to write six of the names on one side, or on one stone, and six of the names on the other stone. They were to take what the Bible calls ouches of gold. What that means is settings of gold. Some of you women that have rings on your fingers, uh, there's a setting around those stones that hold them into place. Well, they would take these settings made out of gold and they would be engraven and placed into the breastplate uh, or the shoulder pieces and the breastplate. And they would take these stones and encase them in there so that they would hold there. Every time that Aaron came before the God of glory, he would be reminded that upon his shoulders rested twelve names. And those names represented a group of people that had troubles, that had sorrows, that had burdens, that they couldn't get to God themselves. But it was his task and his responsibility as their representative to carry their burdens into the holy place, to bring them before God and make petitions on their behalf, and to seek God's intercession and God's intervention in those matters. You know, it reminds me that our Lord Jesus Christ, He bears our burdens for us. The Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Christ made this, uh, this invitation to you and I. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said this, Take my yoke upon you. You know, a yoke ain't nothing but an ox's shoulder plate, right? He said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, listen, yoke up beside me. Uh, You take my yoke upon you and I'll bear up the weight of what you cannot bear up. I'm glad the Lord bears our burdens. Uh, So often, we'll say a word about it here in a moment, but we don't take our burdens to Him to let Him bear them. But He's ready and waiting and willing to bear the troubles and struggles that we experience in life. Hey, listen, your strength isn't enough. My strength isn't enough. We've got to have somebody that carries us to God's presence and bears our burdens. I want you to think about a couple thoughts. It struck me to think about the size of these stones. We don't know how big these stones were, but we can assume that they were small enough to fit on a man's shoulder. But imagine, if you will, that you were embodied by one of those six names. Imagine if, it, if you were one of the children of Israel and your whole tribe could fit on one-sixth of that stone. We might say this, that the stones were so big to the children of Israel that six tribes could fit on them. That's a pretty big stone. But they were small enough that they could fit on the priest's shoulder. We might say it this way, you know, you'll come into problems in life that are a lot bigger than you. You'll come into problems in life that are a lot bigger than, hey, it takes six of you to try to bear them. And there are things that we face in life that are that are far and, and, and above anything we could ever hope to change or to fix or to tackle or even to be able to endure. And they may seem big to us, but listen, neighbor, they're small enough to fit on one of God's shoulders. In fact, we might say this, uh, hey, you know, the Bible says that He measured the universe in the span of His hand. I mean, listen, our biggest problem wouldn't even be an atom upon God's hand. It may be big to us, but it ain't big to God. I know I've shared this with you till you're tired of hearing it, but I'm going to share it one more time. It said that there was an uh, individual that asked a question of G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan was a Bible teacher back in the 1800s, very, very famous and pastor for many years. And he was at a conference, and they had question and answer time. And a young man stood up and asked him this question. said, Dr. Morgan, do you believe we ought to pray about small things? Do you believe we ought to bring our small problems to God? And Dr. Morgan answered in a very profound way. He said, young man, what of your problems would be big to God? It's all a matter of perspective. It may be big to us. Hey, there's folks in this room, no doubt, facing things that are big. You don't know what's coming around the corner. And you don't know what to expect. And they're bigger than what you can fix. And they're bigger than what you can change. But no matter how big they look to you, never forget that they're minuscule in the eyes of God. I see the size of them. But then I can't help but notice the source of these stones. The Bible says where these stones came from in Exodus 25. I've always been fascinated by how God did things when the children of Israel came out of of Egypt. Have you ever wondered how it was that the children of Israel had all these jewels and gold and precious metals? Right before they left Israel, God said, Hey, go to your Egyptian neighbors and ask them to borrow something. And uh, when I deliver you, I'm going to bring you out. And I won't bring you out impoverished. I'll, I'll bring you out with blessing and with treasure and with goodness. Hey, listen, when God saves us, He don't just save us. Amen? Let me say that again. When God saves us, He don't just save us. Sometimes we think of salvation like, well, I got my seat in heaven, I'm okay now. Hey, ain't you learned yet that salvation is so much grander than just avoiding hell? That's just the beginning of it, friend. When He sends us out of Egypt, our pockets are full with the blessings of God. So they're traveling through the wilderness, and God uh, had a plan for it, by the way. You know, God blesses you with things so He can use it in the lives of others. 
He don't just bless it so you can have it. He, 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 does, he blesses you with it so you can bless other folks. So they're walking around with all these things in their pocket. And then the command of God comes from heaven. He tells Moses in chapter number 25, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And then he lists a bunch of things that they were to give, gold and silver and brass and so on. And down in verse 7, wouldn't you know it, the Bible says this, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. You say, preacher, what does that, what's the significance of that? Well, I'll tell you how the Lord encouraged me when I read it. It reminded me of this, that they couldn't rest on Aaron's shoulders until they first gave it to him. The source of these stones was the children of Israel themselves. And there would have been no stones for the shoulder pieces if they hadn't been willing to hand them over and to give them to him. You know, the Bible says this in uh, 1 Peter chapter number 5. You're familiar with the chapter, I know. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this. In verses 6 and 7, God says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Now, it doesn't say that God's going to come run you down, trip you, hog tie you, and take your cares from you. Instead, it says that it's upon you to take your cares and your burdens and cast them upon the Lord. Here's the truth. If you want to walk around the rest of your life bent low under your weights and troubles, God won't stop you from doing it. But even tonight, God waits with a spot on His shoulder for the burdens you carry. If you'll come unto Him and say, Lord, they're bigger than I can handle. They're bigger than I can fix. They're bigger than I can change. God, take these burdens from me then God's willing to do it. We have to humble ourselves. We have to cast our burdens upon Him. Ain't nobody going to do it for you. Ain't nobody going to do it in your place. You have to make the decision to come unto the Lord and to give the burdens unto Him. So He bore the children of Israel upon His shoulders for strength. And I want you to look at the next few verses. We're going to read quite a few here. Look at verse number 15. We'll start there and read down to verse 30. I think you can handle that, amen? You're still waiting on your shoes to dry out anyway. The Bible says in verse 15, "...and thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work. After the work of the ephod thou shalt make it. Of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twined linen shalt thou make it. Four square it shall be, being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof." And thou shalt set in it settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a leaguer, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a barrel, and an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be setting gold in their enclosings. Now listen to this. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel... Twelve according to their names. How many stones did we read? Twelve stones. How many names are there of the children of Israel? Twelve names. Like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. Thou shalt make upon the breastplate chains at the ends of wreath and work of pure gold. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold. And shalt put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. Thou shalt put the two wreath and chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two wreath and chains uh, thou shalt fasten in the two ouches and put them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod before it. And thou shalt make two rings of gold 
Thou shalt put them upon the two ends of the breastplate and the border thereof, which is in the side of the ephod inward. Two other rings of gold thou shalt make and put, shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath toward the forepart thereof, over against the other coupling thereof, above the curious girdle of the ephod. Some of you all are saying, boy, that's detailed. Were you ever tried to make an ephod before? Amen. You need a lot of instruction. They shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof under the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue, that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod, and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. We'll pause there and pick up verse 30 in a moment. The first place that he bears them is upon his shoulders for strength. And I'm glad we've got a high priest that when the weight gets too heavy and the burden's too much, I can cast them on him and he can bear me up. I'm also thankful that I've got a high priest that every time he goes into the presence of God, he's got me on his heart. He's bearing me upon his heart. If I'm upon his shoulders for strength, then I can't help but think I'm upon his heart for sympathy. No, the Bible says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. doesn't say we have not a high priest that wasn't touched with the feelings of our infirmities. It says we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. You say, preacher, what's the difference? The difference is this. Hey, he's still touched with the feelings of our infirmity. You know, the Bible never says that Jesus Christ quit being man. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. There's one mediator, uh, one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now, he has a perfected body. We understand that. He doesn't have a body like you and I. But he still has a body. And what does that mean? He's still subject uh, to the sorrow and to the heartbreak and to the pain that you and I experience. Not physical pain, not physical weariness. But in other words, hey, when my heart breaks, his heart breaks. I heard one preacher describe it this way. He said he was walking through an instrument store one time and uh, they had a bunch of big old harps for sale. And uh, said that the fellow that uh, worked the instrument shop, he said, I want to show you something. Watch this. And he walked over and he plucked the string on one of the harps. And when he did, a string on another harp began to vibrate. And he said, these two harps are so in tune that whenever you pluck the string on one, the string on the other, because they're the same frequency, will begin to vibrate. You know, that's sort of how the Lord is with us. When something plucks our heart string, it plucks His heart string. When something breaks our heart, it breaks His heart. And He bears us into the presence of God upon His heart for sympathy. He, uh, The Bible says we have a high priest because He has suffered. He can succor them that are suffering, them that are tempted. What does that mean? He can comfort them. When we pray to God, we're praying to a God that knows what heartache is. Hey, listen, isn't it good to know that whenever we're talking to God, whenever we, uh, when we've been betrayed, He knows what betrayal is. When we've been dis- disappointed, He knows what disappointment is. Uh, whenever uh, somebody's lied about us, He knows what it is to be lied about. Whenever our heartstring is plucked, His heartstring is plucked. He knows what we're experiencing. Well, I noticed a couple things about this. Number one, I want you to notice that He is distinct in His sympathy. Uh, whenever the Bible talks about the onyx stones upon the shoulder, it says that each one bore six names upon it. It reminds me of this, that there's no burdens that we share that aren't somebody else's burdens too. Hey, listen, there's nothing you're going through but what somebody's gone through it before. It might not be anybody you know. It might not be anybody you see. But you aren't all alone in your suffering. Somebody else has gone through it. But you know, I found this, that oftentimes when our heart is breaking 
And when we're not just struggling, but we're suffering, we're troubled, we're discouraged. Oftentimes we know, uh, you know, we've heard often that misery loves company, but I don't know about you, most of the time I don't want to hear about it if anybody knows what I'm going through. I just want to wallow in my self-pity most of the time. I like to think that I'm the only person to ever go through it. I get that Elijah complex. Lord, I and I alone am left. And he says, no, you ain't the only one left. But we find that in the breastplate, the names did not share stones. Each name had its own stone. It reminds me of this, that each stone was particular to God. Each stone distinctively had its own luster, had its own flaws, had its own perfections. Each stone had its own character before God. And you know, when our heart breaks, uh, we don't. Uh, there is such a thing as corporate suffering. But God, whenever He bears our heartaches and burdens, He knows what we're going through. Not just what some folks go through. He knows what we're going through. Hey, when your heart's breaking, He knows what you're experiencing. Not just what other folks that have gone through that are experiencing. We might say it this way, that He bears a stone with our name upon His heart, and we ourselves are upon His heart in the presence of God. Each stone is particular. And you know what that means? That means that each stone is precious. Now, I don't have time for Economics 101, but I will say this. We understand that the more you got of something, the less it's worth, right? That's why our money ain't worth what it used to be. The government just keeps printing, 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 printing. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to lay awake in bed at night and wonder this. Hey, if the government can print money anyway, why do we have to pay taxes? Just think about that for the next two weeks, all right? Economics 101. You make more of something, it's worth less. If there had been 12 diamonds in that breastplate, the diamonds wouldn't have been worth as much. There had been 12 sapphires, and they wouldn't have been worth as much. Each stone was particular. And because each stone was particular, each stone was precious. You know, God loves us. Uh, not just corporately speaking as being part of the world or the earth or humanity, but God loves each of us individually. You've often heard it said that if I'd been the only one in the world or if you'd been the only one in the world, He still would have went to the cross and died. That's true. And God loves you distinctly, individually. When you're going through trouble, He pays attention to your trouble and brings it before the Heavenly Father. We see in this passage that he was distinct in his sympathies. But I thought this was good. Look at verse 30. The Bible says, And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and Tumah, and they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart continually, uh, before the Lord continually. Part of the reason the Bible says that breastplate was doubled up on the back side is because in there they would put what the Bible calls the Urim and the Tumah. You want to know what the Urim and the Tumim is? Me too. Because ain't nobody knows what it is. But we do understand a few characteristics about it. We understand that the Urim and the Tumim was some means of divining the will of God. Uh, we don't know how this was done. We don't know what was accomplished uh, whenever the Urim and the Tumim were used. But we understand that in some way, the children of Israel could learn and discern the will of God by consulting the Urim 
and the tomb. And we believe probably they were two precious stones, although we do not know that in particular. We know they had to be small enough to fit in that breastplate, which was not very large. Uh, but we do not know a lot about them. But I do understand this, that not only is the Lord distinct in His sympathy, but evidently, because He also bears the Urim and the Tumim, which is for the purpose of discerning the mind of God, the high priest would have Him, He must also be discerning in His sympathy. Now, let me explain this a little bit to you by telling you what I believe the Urim and the Tumim is a picture of. I believe, and uh, good men could no doubt disagree with me about this, but as I study my Bible, it seems to me that the Urim and the Tumim in some way pictures the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. He was the, uh, uh, the bearer of the mind and will of God of Israel. And he would be upon the heart of the priest. And there would be a communication between God in heaven and the priest that was on earth through the ministration of the Urim and Tumim. I'll give you a few of the reasons I think he's probably a picture of the Holy Spirit. I think, number one, he's a picture of the Holy Spirit in name. Uh, the, the phrase Urim and Tumim of these two stones or whatever they might have been, it literally means light and truth. Both of these things in your Bible are pictured as uh, symbols of the Spirit of God. The Bible says that we have no need that any man teach us, but that self-same anointing, speaking of the Spirit of God, will teach us. It is the Spirit of God that shines light into our eyes and exposes the truth of God to us. In fact, the Bible says when a sinner is lost, that his uh, mind has been blinded from the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Who is it that shines that light in his eyes? It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's God that exposes the heart of God, and it's God that exposes, uh, or the Spirit of God that exposes the heart of God, and the Spirit of God that exposes the heart of man. So I think he's pictured in the name Urim, light. But what about the truth? Uh, the word Tumim means truth, and the Bible says this in John sixteen thirteen. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, literally, the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of truth. He is the arbiter of the truth of God and revelation of God in this day of grace. Now, this Bible contains the truth of God, and this Bible is the truth of God from cover to cover. Well, I've got news for you. You can read this book day in, day out, and still, hey, you may understand the languages behind it. You may understand the theology that frames it, but you're not going to understand what it means to you until you surrender under the speaking and leading of the Spirit of God and allow Him to dictate and apply that truth to you. He is the Spirit of truth. But then I think He also pictures the Spirit of the Urim and Tumim. I keep saying He, amen. I don't know why, but I do. The Urim and Tumim picture the Spirit of God in the nature of what they did. I'll read to you Numbers chapter 27, verse 21, to give you just an idea of how they use the Urim and Tumim. The Bible says this, uh, and he, and this is talking about Joshua, he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord. At his word shall they go out. At his word shall they come in, both he and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. So, in other words, the priest learned the mind of God through the Urim and the Tumim. It was the responsibility of the Urim and Tumim, or the function of the Urim and Tumim, to clear up and convey and communicate God's will so that the priest and the Father might be in harmony. Now, can I just switch horses in the middle of the stream for just a moment? You know, Christ is our high priest. 
But the Bible also says that you and I are uh, priests unto God as believers. We call this the individual priesthood of the believer. In other words, we don't need somebody to go to God for us because we, through the person of Jesus, can go to God on our own behalf. You know, when we consider that function, I find this. Jesus always knows what God the Father is thinking and desires. But you and I, we don't always know what God is thinking and what He desires. But we find that through the Spirit of God, we can divine or discern. I I hesitate to use that word divine. But we can discern and understand the will of God. Listen to what it says in Romans 8, 26, 27. I had a little boy come to me on Friday when we was preaching in the youth event. He said, I just don't know how to pray. I said, yes, you do. He said, no, I don't. I said, yes, you do. He said, no, I don't. I said, what are you doing right now? He said, I'm talking to you. I said, well, that's how you pray. You just talk to God. Amen. And when we pray, though, there's times when we don't know what we ought to pray. God addresses this in Romans 8. Paul writing says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, when we pray, the one that we're praying to can understand what we desire and what God desires for us because the Spirit of God that dwells in us is also the Spirit of Christ. And there's perfect harmony and communication betwixt the priest at the right hand of God and the Spirit that indwells the believer. And so the desires that we have towards God and the desires that God has towards us are declared and dictated to us through the ministry of the Spirit of God. Much like the Urim and Tumim were used. It tells me this. This is what I'll boil it down to. Hey, sometimes I don't even know how to tell God my troubles. But He already knows them. (laughs) Sometimes I don't know how to get what I'm feeling inside coughed out of my mouth and off of my lips and into God's ears. But God already knows. You know why? Because God's already took up residence in my heart. And the high priest that serves and ministers over my well-being... He's in perfect harmony with the Urim and Tumim that indwells inside me. And He knows what God's will and desire is for my life. I want to give you one final thing and I'm done this evening. Look down at verse 36. The Bible says, And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, engrave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. Thou shalt put it on a blue lace that it may be upon the mitre. Upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. The Bible says, And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. If he bears me upon his shoulders for strength and he bears me upon his heart for sympathy, I can't help but notice that Aaron for the children of Israel and Christ for me today He bears my sins upon His head for my sanctification. You know, the Bible teaches us that God has declared, those that have believed on Christ, He has declared them justified, and He has forgiven, the Bible says, the sins that are past, but not only the sins that are past, sins that are past, present, and future. There's no sin you have committed or ever will commit, but what if you've come to Calvary, God's already forgiven you of them. But we find that there's different ways in which God deals with humanity. For instance, uh, if you were to liken it to the relationship between a father and a son, 
It's one thing for the father to legally own his son as his own child. And one might say this, that if there was a child that had done something that estranged himself from his father, and he came to his father and said, listen, I know I've done wrong, I know you don't own me as your son, but if you'll just forgive me of what I've done and bring me back into the fold and into the family, then we can have harmony one with another. And if that father said, okay, I'll forgive you, I'll bring you into the family, and then that son turned right around and did something wrong, the father's not going to give him up or throw him away. That doesn't mean he's going to be pleased with what his son's done either. The relationship won't be changed, but the fellowship will be changed. You and I, we've been saved by God's grace, and as a sinner, we have already been judged. But right now, God's judging us as a son or as a daughter. We have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And when we sin, it disrupts the communion and fellowship we have with Him. He ain't going to throw us away. We're not going to cease to be His child. He's not going to cast us into hell. But that doesn't mean that our hearts are right with Him if there's sin in the midst of them. So communion must be restored. You know, in the same way when the children of Israel would come before their God, They needed a representative that could go into the presence of God on their behalf. Why does the Bible say the iniquity of the holy things? It's not to suggest there was anything sinful about the holy things. But it is to suggest this, that if the holy things were going to be offered before God, the sin of the bearer, the sin of the bringer of those things, had to be addressed before it could be brought into the presence of God. In other words, it's sort of a catch-22. You need as a sacrifice before you could give a sacrifice. By the way, this is why the Israelites today still don't worship uh, because all of them are ceremonially unclean before God. They don't have no red heifers uh, to sacrifice to get the water of purification uh, and the ashes of the sprinkling of the heifer so they can be ceremonially clean. But Aaron, when he went before God, he had engraven upon his forehead this phrase, holiness to the Lord. Now remember, the law was not the substance, the law was the shadow. And Aaron, he was not the accepted, appropriate representative before God, but he was a placeholder. He was there to remind God that there was a better high priest coming. Aaron was a human being, just like every other of the children of Israel. In fact, we might say this, in some ways he's worse. If you read the history of Aaron, he's not a real uh, upright, forthright guy most of the time. Hey, don't forget, it was Aaron uh, that uh, took the earrings, the children of Israel, and uh, carved them into a golden calf. It was Aaron that was a part of several other instances where he rebelled against the authority and uh, of Moses and the authority of God. Aaron was not a perfect individual. How could he go before God? not being perfect. He could only go before God because God was reminded both by the sacrifices, by the furniture of the temple, by the garments that he was wearing. And every time that Aaron looked up towards God, God looked down at Aaron. He saw a phrase on his forehead, holiness unto the Lord. He was reminded of this. Though Aaron was not a fit high priest, though Aaron was not a perfect high priest, there was a high priest coming that was fit, that was perfect, and his righteousness was sufficient in the eyes of God. The Bible says that they would put upon Aaron fine twined linen. That linen pictured the righteousness of Christ. But he could only picture it. It was just fine twined linen. But whenever Christ came, he came with the fine twined linen of his righteousness. Uh, the Bible says that this priestly robe they'd put over Aaron, it was, had a hole in the top of it. The Bible says like a haberdashery. You know what that means? Uh, like a one piece garment that would be put on over the head. That 
that pictured the righteousness of Christ. Don't you remember Christ, whenever He was crucified, they parted His garments among them. Uh, and then they, the Bible says they uh, took His uh, one garment and they did not, they gambled over it because they didn't want to cut it up because it was one piece woven throughout. All of this pictured the righteousness of Christ. We see first off the representative. That was Aaron. When he stood before God, he stood and he was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, we don't have the type, we have the anti-type. We don't have the shadow, we have the substance. Uh, We don't have the stand-in priest, we have the supreme priest. We have the God of glory that has robed Himself in flesh, that has been suffered, uh, that has suffered and been tempted in all points like as we are. He stands whole and complete before God. And whenever we need to get to God, hey, listen to what John said in First John uh, chapter number two. Said, "My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, hey, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He's the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world." He's not talking to unbelievers there. He's talking to little children. And he says, hey, don't say that you've not sinned. If you say you've not sinned, then you make God a liar. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. You're still going to mess up. But when you do mess up and you need to be restored in your fellowship with God, we have an advocate and he's perfect and he's righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. And when he stands before God, it's not just an engraving of holiness unto the Lord. It's the explicit holiness of the Lord in the throne room of grace. We see their representative in Aaron, but I can't help but notice their reception. Verse 38, at the very end, the Bible says that they may be accepted before the Lord. Because Aaron went in for them, uh, because Aaron went in on their behalf, what they were offering was accepted to God. I can't help but be reminded of what Paul wrote to us in Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 19 through 22, he said, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, what does that mean? It means this, hey, that we're clean in in the eyes of God, and we ought to feel clean in the eyes of our conscience, because Calvary has cleansed us. And as such, we because He bears our sins upon Him, and because He bears our name before God, we can approach in unto God, not on our own behalf, but on His behalf, not through our own strength, but through His strength. The Bible says that through Him we have boldness and access by faith. Here's the truth of the matter. There's going to be times you're going to sin, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to mess up. There's going to be times you don't make a mistake and mess up. There's going to be times that you think about sin, you want to commit sin, you decide to commit sin, you plan to commit sin, you carry out that sin, and then you try to cover up that sin. How's that for you? There's going to be times that you do wickedly. When those times come, preacher, what can I do? We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. You know what else John said in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He forgives us without making apology to God or to us because He's paid our price and He's made a way for you and I to get before Him. Here's what I want tonight. If you've got a burden that you're trying to bear, why don't you come and put it on the priest's shoulders? If you've got some sorrow... 
and you just need some encouragement, why don't you come and place it upon His heart? And maybe if you've got some sin in your life, something that has crept its way in, why don't you come and place it upon the account of your high priest and let your advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, make propitiation and allow you access into the presence of God.